Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and tonight I'm not joined by Brian Kaufman, but I am joined by a special guest, Kyle Kelly, who's here to talk about some Notre Dame football, do a little bit of a Notre Dame preview. Kyle covers Notre Dame football recruiting for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network, and you can find him on Twitter at ByKyleKelly. That's Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. Kyle, how are you? Good man, uh, you you know what what I've been up to these last couple days, and uh, I'm sure everyone knows you're also a master student at uh, Medill. So busy time of the year, I guess it it has been these last twelve months, but the year is wrapping up, and I could not find a better way to end it than to talk some college football with you, Stephen. No doubt. Well, it's about to get even busier, right? Because Toe is about to hit leather on this college football season. It's what we've been waiting for for months and months and months. So let's get into it. Let's uh, talk some Notre Dame football. Um, You know, I know I want to start kind of broad picture. And it seems like everything you read, you hear, uh, you watch, everything is just so positive with Marcus Freeman and the, the transition from Brian Kelly to him. Why has this transition seemingly been so smooth and easy? Well, the thing that really sticks out to me right away is that when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, there was a a certain amount of guys on the team. I don't remember how many or who they were. I know they held, held leadership roles on Notre Dame's team last year. They approached athletic director Jack Swarbrick and basically told them, you don't need to look any further. Your your guy is right here. It's Marcus Freeman. And I guess at least to our knowledge, Marcus Freeman was the only one um, brought in for an in-person interview and really strongly considered for the job. So it was pretty much a, a no-brainer hire uh, when you looked at all the references that Marcus Freeman brought to Notre Dame with the players advocating on his behalf. Um, you know, he's a guy that's cut from Jim, Jim Trussell, uh, from the Ohio state days and, uh, obviously learned the uh, tricks of the trade there as a Buckeye was a standout at Ohio state. And when you look around the college football, you know, co- coaching circuit, you have, you have a certain number of guys that are considered the up and comers. And I think it's fitting that the athletic did a 40 under 40 of some of the most influential people in college athletics. And I'm pretty sure the first person on their list was Marcus Freeman. And I think that says everything you need to know about the guy. Um, and, and my interactions with him, he's just an uh, incredible human being, very charismatic. And I, I guess the one advantage that I have about covering Notre Dame recruiting is I get to really learn about what kids and what parents think of him as a, you know, a salesman and, you know, an advocate for the university. And it's pretty often I hear about the dads wanting to uh, run through a wall for Marcus Freeman. And uh, I, I, I always hear the kids, uh, you know, say how genuine he is, you know, it, just how um, charming of an individual he is and how motivating he is. And the, the funniest part is all the moms like to take pictures with Marcus Freeman. I think you, could probably guess why he's a good-looking uh, individual, and you know I can't really think of anyone better to be the face of the program, uh, Notre Dame football in 2022. 
Well, you mentioned the recruiting trail, and certainly that's one reason why there is so much excitement around that program right now is he's just been killing it on the recruiting trail. You know, during the Brian Kelly era, I mean, he recruited, he was a good recruiter, but not a great recruiter. Like they were what consistently in the maybe 10 to 15 range and they'd get 10 to 15 four stars and kind of fill the rest of the class out with three stars. But the teams they were competing with in the college football playoff were getting 15 four stars and then maybe five, six, seven, five stars sometimes. Um, and then with Freeman taking, taking over the, the reins here, they already have 19 four stars committed in the class of 2023 and a five star out of their 22 commits. He had them as the number one class for a while. They're now, uh, now number three, but nothing to sneeze at at all. And it's really, I think, been a breath of fresh air. It seems like he is able to just ramp up the number of really talented guys that they're involved with and that they can close on. Uh, is there, you know, you mentioned his charisma and his energy, but is there any change in recruiting strategy under Freeman that you've seen so far? Are they targeting a higher level of players or is he just better able to, to finish the deal? I don't think there's been a change in strategy. I've, I mean, it's hard for me to say because I've only covered them for about five months now. But the biggest thing that has been relayed to me um, is that they just work harder. Marcus Freeman's staff works incredibly hard at recruiting, and that is set from the top down. That's a mindset that Marcus Freeman established from day one on the job. Um, he in early December when he stepped up to you know on the podium and. Uh, went to the lectern and was talking about what he wanted to accomplish at Notre Dame. He said he wanted to be the number one um, person involved in every kid's recruitment. And I think to this point in time, he's kind of lived up to that. And what really stood out to me about that day when he was hired by Notre Dame, later that night he ended up in Wisconsin, um, I believe, and was already in the living room of one of Notre Dame's top 2023 recruits. That kid ended up choosing Notre Dame. Um, he played a big role in Notre Dame, only losing, I think, two or three players in the class. Um, they did a remarkable job of holding that class together. And with the coaches they've brought in, there's just been a breath of fresh air about the work ethic and what, what is required um, out of those individuals on the recruiting trail. And I think that's what has caused Notre Dame to reap the benefits so far is the, the amount of work they're putting in on the recruiting trail. And when you have someone like Marcus Freeman that has established that effort and is practicing what he preaches, not only does um, you, you know it kind of uh, make the staff feel like they have to do it, like you know they're, they're all they're doing it. you know they're doing that themselves. they're challenged by what Marcus Freeman has gone um, gone out and done on the trail and um, you know kind of the mindset he's established so, that I think that's really the reason when it what it all boils down to why Notre Dame has had this much success at this point in the Freeman era and you know the upcoming two recruiting classes. Now before we jump into the actual season, is there a recruit a commit right now in the class of 2023 that you're most excited about or the staff is most excited about? 
they have some really talented guys uh, committed in that class. And the big one for me was Keon Keeley, a five-star out of Tampa, um, pass rusher, pretty much a consensus uh, top 10, top 20 uh, guy. But unfortunately, he's been the one uh, negative of the recruiting, I guess. And it's not really to anyone's fault, but he decommitted to, from Notre Dame. He wants to look around elsewhere. And, you know, that that was a big hit uh, to Notre Dame. So that has been, um, I guess, one guy that I would have loved to see. I, I think Notre Dame is maybe going to try to bring him back, but they have an uphill climb between Alabama and Ohio State there. But just looking at the way the roster is made up right now, they they really need help at wide receiver. And uh, I think the one guy that I'm excited to see when he comes to Notre Dame is a kid by the name of Jaden Greathouse. He played uh, high school. He plays his high school football at Austin Westlake in Texas. His starting quarterback was Cade Klubnik, who signed uh, with Clemson in the 22 class. Jaden Greyhouse is an absolute machine. Um, he's a, considered a top 100 wide receiver in the class, uh, a, an outstanding t- talent. He marked a marquee win on the recruiting trail uh, for wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey and the staff. Uh, Notre Dame hasn't had guys like that too often, especially from Texas, come in uh, with that type of talent. And I guess kind of sticking with that same theme is uh, four-star safety Peyton Bowen, uh, who's considered now the top uh, top 40 player in the class. He's also from Texas. He was one of Marcus Freeman's first commits. He actually may have been oh, technically his second commit in the class uh, since Freeman uh, took over the reins as head coach. He's an exceptional talent. Um, the teams that are still recruiting improve that. He's in a tight battle with Oklahoma and Texas A&M right now. Also was fielding interest from Alabama and LSU. But players like that that are so highly rated and considered top 100 overall prospects, when you get those types of guys at, at Notre Dame, those are the types of guys that Notre Dame's been missing. So I, I think that right away from the get-go, once they join, you know, they're, they're going to have opportunities to see the field right away and make an impact. So let's move from the recruiting trail to the actual gridiron. We got the season coming up here very shortly. It's what we've been waiting for. And Marcus Freeman is certainly in a honeymoon phase right now, right? Everything's going well. They're recruiting well. There's a ton of excitement around the program, but they start off the season with a really tough game. Uh, at the horseshoe against Ohio State. So, you know, what does the on-field, what do the on-field results need to look like this year for Notre Dame in order to kind of continue that momentum and maintain those good vibes that are around the program right now? So here's the thing about when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame is he left Notre Dame in a super good spot. And I guess, unfortunately for Marcus Freeman, the mindset from the fan base that, Notre Dame is almost expected to win 10 games uh, minimum per season and to be in competition uh, for the college football playoff on an annual basis. And first-year head coaches historically have not succeeded at Notre Dame, and that's exactly what Marcus Freeman is. Um, Not only is he a first-year head coach, he's a first-time head coach. Uh, He's never been a head coach at, you know, any level, and – those types of coaches have had, uh, you know, difficulty at Notre Dame. And I think uh, Charlie Weiss was the, the perfect example. He came in there and was had, had a lot of high accolades, but 
um, you know, was a first-time head coach and obviously failed. And the guy that took over for him had Notre Dame in the national championship game, I think, in three years by the time uh, he was at Notre Dame and uh, Brian Kelly. And so with Marcus Freeman, they have a great team, um, a very veteran-laden team, especially on defense. Um, offensively, the offensive line is outstanding. They have Harry Heastan returning as the offensive line coach, and he's regarded as probably the top offensive line coach in all in college football when you think of the guys he's produced, such as Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Ronnie Stanley, all guys that at their, their best are considered the best at their position in the NFL. Uh, the, the big knock on Notre Dame is they have a, a brand-new starting quarterback, a kid that hasn't started a football game in over a 1,000 days. And I think that's where you are going to see a little bit of struggles at Notre Dame, especially with a, a first-year head coach. Um, I, luckily, believe it or not, the schedule is a little bit favorable. Um, they they bring Clemson uh, at home on November 5th. That'll probably be the second marquee game on that schedule besides Ohio State. They're also going to see USC at the end of the year, the last game of the season. No one knows what USC is going to look like by the end of the year. But what I've basically kind of put this team as, I, I, I think their ceiling is 11-1. and one. I really don't see them winning that Ohio State game. And I think that even if they somehow did, this team is um, – so young at key positions and with a key head coach or a young head coach that they're probably going to have a hiccup somewhere in that schedule. I put their floor at at around eight and four. I think they finished somewhere in between the, uh, that around that 10 and two range. And I really, overall, I don't think you should see much drop off from this team. They still have a great roster. They have two of the best players in all in college football on both sides of the ball and Michael Mayer and uh, Isaiah Foskey. And they also have a great co- coaching staff surrounded surrounding them. So uh, the, I think one thing Notre Dame fans will take for granted with Brian Kelly is he always won the games he was supposed to. And, you know, we're not sure if Marcus Freeman's going to have that same ability, uh, you know, as a first-time head coach. I think for me, when I look at this team, you touched on it, that defense I think should be rock solid. I, I really don't have any – I don't lose any sleep at night – I think about the Notre Dame defense, especially given Marcus Freeman, defensive guy, was the defensive coordinator. Al Golden has a great track record, who's now in there as a defensive coordinator, and a, and a ton of talent all over the place. Probably the biggest loss on defense was uh, consensus All-American uh, Kyle Hamilton, who was a first-round draft pick at safety, but they replace him with Brandon Joseph from Northwestern, who was also a consensus All-American. And you mentioned Foskey and the talent he has. So for me, the defense, it seems like that's a no-brainer. That's going to be roughly a top 10 unit. Wouldn't lose a lot of sleep about it. But the offense, I feel like if it the, the season for Notre Dame is going to be either made or broken by that offense. And you know everything I've read, and you mentioned it too, is that this is a really good offensive line. But for me, I can't help but think back to the beginning of the season last year when they were giving up sack after sack after stack. It was just really stuck in my head. And I know they improved a lot as the season went on. Um, but there were th- their first four games, they gave up five sacks per game and they improved the rest of the year to just 1.7 uh, over the last nine, which is which is much, much better. But you know how how much of that was Jack Cohn's inability to to move around in the pocket and how much has the offensive line just 
gotten better as being a you know a young offensive line that that gelled and is now really able to carry that over from season to season. Yeah, I mean, I really am expecting a night and day difference from this offensive line from the beginning of last year to where where we're at today. And I think by the end of last season, you were already considering Notre Dame's offensive line to be one of the biggest strengths on the team. And what really caused a lot of the uh, negative play early on and the offensive line being a weakness was they had a lot of injuries um, at the position. You know, Blake Fisher, a highly touted five-star left tackle coming in, huge expectations, uh, went down in week one uh, with, uh, I think it was a meniscus injury, nonetheless a uh, knee injury, uh, and Notre Dame's backup tackle, also was out. So here Notre Dame got put in the position to with a third string offensive tackle, guy that played tight end in high school, Joe Walt was put in an incredibly tough position. And that's a guy that as the year went on had just got exponentially better. And now we're talking about Joe Walt as a potential day one or day two NFL draft pick, you know, by the time he leaves Notre Dame. And Blake Fisher has now shifted over to right tackle and you saw him play that position in the Fiesta Bowl. Basically, you know, was his first game um, as a college college football player, you know, considering he was not able to finish early in the season. And with those two guys at tackles and then having an All-American caliber player like Jarrett Patterson on that offensive line, Patterson moved from center to guard this offseason because uh, Zeke Carell, the starting center, um, well, let me backtrack. Patterson had an injury this offseason that forced to put Carell at center. And this is a classic case of next man up, and Carell succeeded so much in that role that they moved Patterson to guard. And he's flourished at that position. He's questionable heading into week one in Ohio State. Um, but uh, across the board, even on the interior, um, there's a lot to like about that offensive line. I think the big thing uh, with Notre Dame's O-line is the, the return of Harry Heastan. Uh, Notre Dame's previous offensive line coach did an okay job, um, Jeff Quinn, but there's a reason why Jeff Quinn is currently not employed to, you know, as a college football coach right now, at least to our knowledge. Um, you know, he might want to take a year off, but uh, I guess if someone really wanted him that bad, he would probably be coaching somewhere. And with Harry Heesan coming back, I guess, essentially out of retirement to come to Notre Dame, that's a guy that brings that pedigree to that offensive line room. And from what we've been able to see in camp so far, he's done an incredible job with that group. Um, they've just gotten better every day, it looks like, and they've even fought a lot of injuries and some depth issues, and I really expect them, if they stay healthy, to probably be the biggest strength on this team uh, for this season. So you're confident in the offensive line. What needs to happen then with the offense in order for them to hit that 11 and one ceiling. What does Tyler Buckner need to do? What needs to happen with the receivers? Uh, how do, how does the offense get them to 11 and one? They got to protect the football. I think, I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, Tyler Buckner being a young quarterback, you know, you saw it a little bit last year, he's prone to interceptions. And I think that is going to be the one, um, one knock on him this year and what might hold the offense back. And then you're also looking at a wide receiver room that is desperate for help. I mean, they basically have a former walk-on start 
uh, at least what we've seen because of the injuries at the position, a former walk-on now scholarship starting as the slot receiver, um, and they they don't have any depth. Um, they they only have um, about five guys, maybe six at the absolute most that can play on game day. And wide receivers coach Chancey Sucky said they, they wish, you know, their goal is to have ten scholarship wide receivers, and they are at almost half that. So that's going to be the big wild card is Notre Dame's passing game with a young quarterback who's prone to turnovers and um, a wide receiver core that is um, pretty shallow. They don't have a lot of bodies, and even where they do have bodies, it's kind of a lot of unproven talent. Lorenzo Styles came along, along strong at the end of last year. Braden Lindsey's been at Notre Dame forever. He's kind of that like that steady Eddie type role. But other than that, there's a lot of uncertainty in that in that wide receiver room. And I think that in order for Notre Dame to go eleven and one this year, they're they're going to need the wide receivers to really step up and they're going to need Buckner to play at elite level. Uh, Ian Book won Notre Dame football games, Jack Cohn won Notre Dame football games, and you know, you might it might be easy to take those guys for granted, but not only does Tyler Buckner have to play at that level. In order for Notre Dame to get to the next step, Tyler Bruckner also has to take that next step. And I think that's what will be necessary for Notre Dame to uh, achieve that you know, type of 11-1 record this year. So Kyle, just how entrenched is Buckner in that starting quarterback job, though? I mean, I know there was a competition with uh, Drew Pine in camp. Is there a chance we could see both quarterbacks throughout the year? I don't think so. The only way I think you might see Drew Pine really play a significant role is if Tyler Buckner is injured, which actually is a pretty good possibility because he's dealt with injuries in the past. He had a torn ACL his sophomore year of high school. Um, He also missed a spring game this year because he missed a step talking to a professor and rolled his ankle. So people don't like that term injury prone, but. that's kind of what um, has been attached to him so far. And, you know, he hasn't been, or, you know, at full, well, I guess he's at full health now. Um, but, you know, he, he by far gives Notre Dame more upside with the type of abilities he has as a runner on offense. He has a more talented arm. Um, but the one thing that stood out to me uh, from earlier this camp is when Marcus Freeman named Tyler Buckner the starter, he said that, you know, dating back, um, he can't really remember um, a time where, he, you know, in his football career that two quarterbacks didn't play. And I think that kind of rose some eyebrows to me. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know if Marcus Freeman was referring to Buckner's ability to stay on the field um, or maybe that, you know, they may be a little bit shorter of a leash with uh, Tyler Buckner knowing the type of quarterback they have in Drew Pine. But – I'm you know, just kind of looking at it from what I've seen so far. I really think this is Tyler Buckner's job. I think he is a starting quarterback. I don't think it's going to be um, a short leash. I think they really want to give him the reins of the offense. He's Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator's hand-picked guy. Tommy Reese is getting a massive role at Notre Dame this year um, to have sole position of the offense. And he uh, – not only that, but Reese also played a big part in 
putting the offensive staff together, which I don't think you really see too much from college football programs. Marcus Freeman kind of give gave Tommy Reese a nod to you know put that offensive court uh, offensive staff together, um, some pieces on it, and Marcus Freeman kind of gave the sign off. So, in summary, there's a lot of investment in Tyler Buckner, and I think as a result of that, when you see who's kind of managing that offense, and that's Tommy Reese, and that's Tommy Reese's investment. I think they're going to want to do the best they can to get the most out of, out of investment, and the best way to do that is by playing Tyler Buckner as much as possible. All right, so I can't let you out of here without doing a little gambling talk. We like to do a lot of gambling talk on on this show, so I'm going to put you on the spot with a couple Notre Dame-related bets and uh, awesome. just – Give me, give me your opinion on it. So we'll start off with some of the preseason futures. Uh, the Notre Dame over under regular season win total is set at eight and a half wins. Uh, the over is juiced to minus 140. Under is plus 120. Which side are you taking on that? The odds are, you know, the odds sounds like they work out better to take the under, but I really like the, I like the over there. And the reason I say that is because I think that potentially whatever bowl game Notre Dame plays in. Um, I'm ass- I'm assuming this are just win totals. I, I don't know if there's... So this con- is just regular, just the 12 regular season games. Oh, uh, 12 so regular double. season games. I'm still going to go over. I think at, at the end of the day, um, you know, Notre Dame, I, based on the teams they have on their schedule, I still like 10-2. and two. Um, I, The last time Clemson came to Notre Dame, Notre Dame won that game. Um, I think Clemson's going to be a similar opponent this time around. And, you know, USC at the end of the year is a wild card. Uh, BYU is a tough one as well, but I'm going to go with the over. All right, and then I got three additional futures. You tell me if you like any of these, none of these, one of these. So Notre Dame is plus 200, two to one odds to win 10 games. They're 15 to one to make the playoff. And they're sixty to one to win the national championship. Would you put a few dollars down on any of those? What was the first one? Uh, two to one odds to win ten games, ten games or more. I like I like the I like the college football one because if Notre Dame plays Ohio State close, and if they win out, and I don't think that is far fetched. I think it's going to be challenging, but I don't think it's impossible. I think those 15 to 1 odds, you throw what, 10 bucks on that? That's $150. It's a pretty good bet, in my opinion. I like that. I may have to after this. <laughs> you think they can get there at, with one loss? You think a one loss Notre Dame team can get in? I think so. I think so. They've got in before, I think, with one loss. It certainly depends on what else happens around the country. Exactly. I think if that one loss is if if it so I think if that one loss is Ohio State, which is a perfectly acceptable loss, and they can beat Clemson and USC, and I, my opinion is that's going to be a drastically different USC team in November than it is when the season starts. I expect that team to get better and better throughout the year. I think if they beat those two teams. That's a pretty pretty strong resume, plus a strong BYU. There's been years in the past where I feel like they've had to go undefeated just based on the schedule. But the way this schedule shakes out, I, I agree with you. I think 11-1 and one could get them in. I think so, because you got to think about it. The teams that they would beat, I mean, you got a BYU, you got a Clemson. 
and USC with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. I mean, those should be three quality wins. Um, and a tight loss against Ohio State, who's, I mean, the national championship odds probably favoring them or or not favoring them, but they're probably right in that those three teams. Um, so uh, I, I'd certainly – I think it's more – more likely than probably people would like to admit that Notre Dame could find their, I guess, sneak their way into the playoff. So there you go. 15 to one to make the college ball playoff. And then the last bet I have to ask you about is the week one game against Ohio state. So right now, Ohio state is a 15 and a half point favorite against the Irish. The total is 58 and a half. Uh, Is there anything that sticks out to you there? Can you repeat that one more time? Ohio State, a 15.5-point favorite, and the total is 58.5 points. I think Notre Dame does cover that game. I I don't see Notre Dame losing by over two touchdowns. And just because Notre Dame has a decent defense, and Ohio State defense is skeptical. Now, there's a lot of question marks on offense, I guess, with the wide receivers and quarterback at Notre Dame. But I think Notre Dame just keep that within a two-possession ball game. I, I really do. I thought the spread more so should have been like seven and a half, nine and a half. So I really like that fifteen and a half number. In terms of the uh, fifty-six and a half, I really fifty-eight think, and a half. Fifty-eight, 58 and a half. Ooh, yeah. I still think I got to go over on that, just because you know Ohio State's offense is going to find the way to score points. And then as far as Notre Dame's offense. Um, or Ohio State's defense, I think with some of the holes they have on that um, side of the ball that Notre Dame is going to be able uh, to, to put up some points one way or the other. The thing is, is in order to win that game, they're going to have to outscore Ohio State, obviously. I, when I look at that line, I kind I haven't seen it yet. We'll have to wait and see what it is. It might be somewhere it's somewhere between seven and a half to nine. But I kind of like the first half line, Notre Dame plus points in the first half. I feel like that could be a game with Notre's with how good Notre Dame's defense is. They they might be able to hold Ohio State for a half be competitive for the first half, keep it within a one-score game. And then I kind of see Ohio State's offense eventually just being too much to handle and too much for Notre Dame's offense to keep up with. Uh, so if I'm that, I got to wait and see what it is, but I'm kind of thinking about that. If I can get that somewhere, if I could get 10 in the first half, no brainer. But even if I can get it above seven and a half, I think I, I actually like that a little bit better than the whole uh, the whole game spread. So... It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Kyle, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure talking some Notre Dame football with you. Tell the people again where they can find you. Biggest place I always say is NotreDame.Rivals.com and come check us out on the Insider Lounge. That's our premium message board. Tons of great content there. And I think you'll like what you see if you just give it a chance. Um, And if you have a rival subscription um, or if you get one, it's not just to the Notre Dame website. It's to all all of our websites. And I think we do a great job across the board so you can find us there that's where all the top-notch info will be and we're really looking forward to putting our best foot forward to cover uh probably a historic season uh under marcus freeman at notre dame hopefully well that's our show as a reminder you can subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast apple spotify google and more and if you like the show we'd love if you leave us a five-star review leave us a rating we'd really appreciate that We will be back next time to talk a little bit of G5 and recap week zero. 
Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.